Hi again, everybody, and welcome into episode 23 of Mossy Creek Conversations. It's great to have you with us for this episode, and it's a special one. It is a veteran in the media relations community, Eric Trainer. He spent six years at Carson Newman as a media relations and marketing director for the Eagles, and for the last 25 plus years, he has been with the University of Tennessee. Eric, thanks so much for taking some time. Looking forward to going down memory lane here with you. It's great to join you, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Well, let's start with this question. When you stepped onto the campus of Arkansas as an undergrad, what was the dream job? At that point, I didn't I didn't know. I, I was uh, I transferred there to major in journalism. So at the time, I was sort of thinking sports writer. Uh, but at, while I was there, I also got a little taste of working the, working in the media relations office and enjoyed both aspects and uh, eventually made a decision to go into media relations after doing an internship following my senior year. You uh, had some student roles uh, with Arkansas, I, th- I think mostly working uh, with the women's basketball team there. What were some of the roles that you had there at the, at the very start of uh, uh, your foray here into the media relations world? Yeah, so just uh, just getting my start, it was basically uh, do anything they asked me to do, which would beginning would be handing out stats, and then they kind of try you and see what you can do, what uh, what you're capable of, where they can trust you. And so I started writing feature stories because I was also working at the student newspaper at the time, so they felt like that would be a good good opportunity for me to to help uh, do feature stories on on the basketball players. So that's that's kind of where I started doing a lot more. Um, and then keeping stats at games, uh, working with uh, the media. And then the, one of the, the biggest opportunities I got there, which was a big shock for me, but our, our SID's wife was expecting. And uh, she, she had to go to the hospital. So he, he had to go be with her. And uh, this person who was his secondary wasn't able to travel. So uh, they said, hey, Eric, would you go to Baylor with the basketball team tomorrow night? I'm like, wow, yeah, yeah, that would be great. And so that's that's sort of when you know I really got the bug uh, to be in this business, just traveling with the team and being a part of that. And I look back and I think, gosh, they really, they really trusted me to do that. Just a student who hadn't been there with them that long. And um, at the time, you you don't think about it. You just think, wow, this is cool. But um, I really am grateful for Steve Wright trusting me to to do that to go on that trip. Do you remember anything about that game? Uh, I, I do what I remember the most. It was uh, Baylor had the, I remember the surroundings of it, the heart of Te- heart of Texas Coliseum. And I remember the dressing rooms were these uh, portable trailers on the end of, of the facility. It was a rodeo arena is what it seemed like. And, and the team had to go into these little portable trailers for a locker room. That's, that's what I remember most. Um, I also remember in, in those days, we didn't have email or internet um, and fax machines really weren't, you know, in, at, at that time they weren't used a lot. So basically everything you did was dictate over a phone. So I can remember calling newspaper reporters in the various cities, Fayetteville, uh, Little Rock, Tulsa, and dictating the box score. And then I called a lady named Nan Elrod who worked at the Southwest Conference and gave her the statistics uh, from the game and answered her questions. And that was kind of my conference update report. And lo and behold, when I came to UT as a GA uh, a year later, she was part of the stat crew 
here. She had moved to Knoxville. So it was kind of weird how worlds kind of come together. Yeah, it's a small world. And, and let's let's get into that opportunity that, that you have at Tennessee. Why did you choose to pursue a master's at the University of Tennessee of, of all the places that potentially could have gone? Well, like I guess like a lot of people in the media relations or sports information field, I attended the COSIDA convention. And that, that would have been, I guess, back in 1989. Um, yeah, in Kansas City. I think it was, you know, it might have been 88, but it was in Kansas City. And I interviewed you. You basically put your resume in, and then they have a job seekers panel there. And the people who are looking to hire someone, they come to this board and look at all these resumes, and then they schedule interviews. Uh, with prospective candidates. And I did several interviews at the time and uh, it ended up talking with Debbie Jennings, who was the, the director of media relations uh, for Tennessee and had a great conversation with her. And I had some other schools I was visiting with as well. And I got an offer and just basically everything she told me about Tennessee and Knoxville um, just really sold me on being a part of the program. And then the, the excitement of, of course, the women's basketball program and uh, Coach Summit uh, was a real, real draw for me. You mentioned the fact that uh, once you got some of that first experience at Arkansas, that kind of uh, elevated the fact that potentially this was something that that you really wanted to do. How did Tennessee form you, shape you into a person that not just uh, wanted to step away from potentially the the newspaper aspect or sports writer aspect into that? I want to work at a college. I want to be in media relations with with an actual university. Well, I think the uh, internship I mentioned earlier at a newspaper gave me experience of what it would be like on a daily basis to be there. And then coming to Tennessee as a graduate assistant really immersed me in in the world of collegiate athletics. I mean, I had always been a fan um, of sports growing up, but just just being a part of the organization, um, the the level of excellence, uh, the expectations on an everyday basis, and then and then being a part of a team. I really something as an athlete. I really enjoyed that growing up, being part of whatever team it was and group. Um, that that was really appealing to me, and being a part of that organization and helping helping that unit in in my role. Um, and then just just the. The way things were conducted there, I mean, there was a, there were really high expectations of everyone. Um, you know, that excellence was the standard. You just you just wanted to do your very best every single day. So then, in the fall of 1991, an opportunity at Carson Newman University opens itself to you. How did that come about, and what was the application process like uh, to to come over to Mossy Creek and and start your career as a full time member? Well, at, at that point, I had, had finished, uh, I worked two years as a graduate assistant at Tennessee, and then another year, um, they asked me to come back and be an intern because we were hosting uh, multiple SEC championships and NCAA events here. So um, I went through that job application process again, applied for lots of different jobs, and uh, little did I know <laughs> Uh, that someone I had worked with in the media here in Knoxville would would give me a phone call and gauge my interest in coming to Mossy Creek. And uh, Stan Stan Cotton was that that person and someone I really ex- respected working with uh, in the media, just someone of high integrity. Um, and he asked if I'd be interested in coming up there and talking to him about the position. And at that point, I didn't I didn't dream I would get that that position because. 
you know, that was for a director's position. A lot of times you go straight into an assistant position after you've been a graduate assistant or an intern. So um, I was excited about it. Um, but I had not run a football press box before. Uh, <laughs> I hadn't handled wrestling before. And so there were a lot of things with it. And I'm like, I, I need to look into this. This is exciting for me. I know about Carson Newman football and baseball and basketball and volleyball, a lot of different sports because the Knoxville media covered that. Um, but am I, am I ready for this job? So I, I, I did go up for an interview and talked with Stan and uh, David Barger and several of the coaches. And I think coach Sparks as well. And just kind of, they were kind of gauging my interest and my level of knowledge and whether I would be able to fit into that role. And then I ended up getting an opportunity. Um, they offered me the job and I, I said, yes. And I, I was sold just the people part of it was huge for me. And just being a part of, of an organization again, I think you could see there was a push to be the very best. Um, and it was and also the people aspect. I mean, and I had that at Tennessee too, with the people I worked with here, it was a, very much a family tight knit unit. And I could, I could sense that there. What were some of your early roles here? Well, right out of the gate, it was um, strictly media relations. So basically, Stan Stan Cotton was my office mate at the time. We we shared an office that at the time was a former closet, as he called it, uh, there at, at uh, the field house. And um, Steve Cotton was still around a little bit. He was getting ready to transition and take he, he had held that position and he was getting ready to take a radio position at Marshall. And he was kind enough to kind of show me where everything was, you know, the, uh, the files and how things worked. And, and both of those guys were just terrific at giving me sort of a blueprint of how things had worked. And, um, you know, I, I really appreciated that. Steve's, Steve's kindness before he left was, was super helpful um, in getting to meet the students who had worked for him. And I knew I knew right away that those students were going to be very important to what we're, we were going to be able to accomplish that coming year because they had done all of this before. Uh, and one of the things I've always tried to do is is to listen to people around me. Um, and I don't care how how new you are to something. Uh, pe people or how much you even know, people can help you if you'll listen to them. They'll help. They'll give you a little nuggets that help, help you get through things. And then Stan was terrific, too. He was so supportive and. Um, working together with him with he handled all the radio and television aspects of it and he, he pretty much said hey this is this is your this is your baby you roll with it if you need anything let me know so I just kind of kind of went from there and um, I think the first thing that hit me right out of the right right at first was the football season was coming up and I had not run a football press box before I had not going on the road and stat at a game before or anything. So I used the knowledge I had here from working with women's basketball, which is, which is pretty, pretty huge. And uh, the media contingent was, was similar as well. And uh, that enabled me to, to kind of get through that first season and, and feel my way through it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, getting that transition right out of the gates uh, must've been difficult, but you had two great people there to learn from in Stan and Steve Cotton. And it's interesting now looking back on it. Uh, uh, Stan is now at Wake Forest. Steve is at Marshall. You're at Tennessee. How would you describe what uh, a person maybe like David Barger and the university as a whole gave to young people like the three of you and you in particular to make that opportunity in the job that you were in 
something that was truly the best that would push you to the next level? I think the the opportunity to be a part of and to play a role in the organization. There was a lot of trust um, put in us to do our jobs and a lot of support. And and we were never never alone in that either. Like when you come in, you feel you have people supporting you. And there was a lot of the times I remember too would be traveling on the road. It wouldn't just be me with the team. It would maybe uh, David, Stan, and I and, and others would, would travel on the road together. So it was more than just about sports. It was about building relationships and, and trust. And, and that was something that as I, as I look back on it, and I, I knew it at the time, it's just a special, a special place because of the people. And it's not, uh, not just there. It goes to the coaches, to the people in the university as well. And uh, just being a part of a family type situation was, was really cool. I grew up in a town of a thousand people. So um, to have that and to be around that and that support and that love and people being there for each other was, was phenomenal. And then, and then too, I think Carson Newman always tried to excel and put itself in a position um, to, to get out into the world um, so to speak, in athletics, uh, didn't back down from playing larger schools. Um, so it it had that big time to me, a big time feel to it because of the mentality. We're, we're we might be in a small town, and at the time they were NAIA and then transitioning to NCAA Division Two, but it, it wasn't that mentality that that we operated by. It was we're we're doing this to be the best we can possibly be, and I, I think too we had a great visibility um, in college athletics because of some some technology that was out there because of some relationships that uh, that our department had coaches had with some television folks and, and able to get us some some visibility that other schools that size couldn't have so i promise you that i wasn't going to get into too many specifics but i do have one thing that I'd like to hear a backstory of. I brought the prop with me. It's the 1993 baseball media guide. And I assume that you were the one that either took this picture or uh, certainly put this package together. It, uh, it, it is the Carson Newman baseball team dressed as there's uh, what are they, four of them, five of them dressed as Batman. Yes. And they were called the Batmen um, because the year before they had a group that uh, that crushed the ball, hit 332 and hit 79 home runs that I think were uh, program records at the time. <laughs> Do you remember a backstory in terms of how that picture became uh, the front of the media guide? Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to go back to my Tennessee days. Uh, one of the things that I mentioned Debbie Jennings earlier. She was my supervisor and mentor at, at Tennessee, and she used themes for media guides for all of our sports. Um, when I when I came to Tennessee, that was just part of it. That every year there had to be a creative theme for every team, and I think she felt like that was a way to get people talking about that program. So <laughs> I, I went to Carson Newman, and I kind of took that with me. I wasn't sure how people would take that, and and I I always felt like it's up to the coach. If the coach doesn't want to have a theme, I'm not going to push a theme on a coach. But if they want one, I'll help them with it. And uh, 
I went to Coach Rundles uh, with that idea and um, some of the players just to see if, if they would be willing to do that. And they kind of laughed and chuckled a little bit, but then they were they were pretty willing to do that, as I recall. And may, they may say they weren't, but um, and I believe Rick Hester took that photo, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I think the the movie Bat, Batman Returns uh, had come out in theaters. I don't know if it was that year or the year before. Um, but it struck me, these guys are all coming back. It's a, it's going to be a great baseball team and uh, a lot of great personalities on that team. And they, they embraced it. And what a year that that's one of my greatest memories, that, that group of guys. Um, and I'm, you know, this gives me chills thinking about them. They still include me in a lot of, a lot of events they have, or, uh, if something happens, uh, to someone in the group, you know, I'll get a text and so just a really tight group of guys and so much fun. I think, I think that was the year they went to the NAIA world series in Des Moines. And, um, just one of the, one of the moments in my time in athletics that I think about with a lot of fondness. What was so special about that team? Can you remember? They, they were brothers. They were a brotherhood of guys that, uh, they had a belief, um, nothing, Nothing was too big for them, and no moment was too big. They, they just came up with clutch plays. They were they were great hitters, but they just they just went out there with a lot of confidence and and they had fun. They had fun playing it, playing the game. And you know, I think back to to Coach Rundles and Joey Seaver and uh, Marty McDowell and Sean McDowell. Excuse me, we call him Marty McFly, uh, Sean McDowell. And, and those guys were just a lot a lot of fun and. Um, it felt if again, it was, I hate to overuse family, but they, they, they were so tight and those guys still are, they still are. So after that season, I think becomes the start of the transition, as you had mentioned earlier from NAIA to NCAA division two, what was that experience like for you? And, and how did maybe some parts of, uh, of your job and your role have to adapt to a different level? Yeah, the, the biggest thing that I think was a transition period, it was a year or maybe a little bit longer. I'm trying to remember um, what that was. But basically, you had two set two organizations you had to supply with information or statistics. And so it duplicated a lot of the work that we had to do as as media relations people. Um, so that that was kind of, to me, the, the biggest thing. And I'm sure administratively, there were a lot more a lot, a lot more paperwork that had to be done as well. Um, but just being part of the South Atlantic conference, I think that was to me, that kept it pretty consistent because it was the whole league was transitioning over at, at the time as well, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, so that, that made it very helpful. And then, you know, that group of guys, uh, I worked with in the conference, um, were terrific too. So we all kind of went through that together. So the only other, let's say, moment or specific memory that, that maybe I'll ask you about is I think it was your final year. 1996 football goes all the way to the national championship game. What do you remember about that season and, and how that year came to came to be for that group? Yeah, that that was um, that was the Eagles getting over uh, getting over a lot of hurdles that year. We as I recall, a lot of uh, trips to Florence, Alabama to play North Alabama in the first round. Um, I think three, maybe three in a row when we got to NCAA Division II. And usually they would go on to win the national championship and we'd play them in the first round and, and fight them, but just not be able to, to get by them. 
And in 96, we finally were able to not play North Alabama in the first round. And it was such a relief. I think we got West Georgia maybe that year um, and were able to handle them. And then the next week, I believe it was Valdosta State we we played. And again, if, it's been a long time, but I believe that was Hal Mummy's last game at Valdosta State before he went to Kentucky to be the head coach at Kentucky. And I just remember that game just being a zoo because uh, all the Lexington and Louisville media folks came to Jefferson City. They wanted to cover that game because he was going to be the next coach at Kentucky. It was already is already out there. Um, so we had to we had to contend with with a whole lot of media, and they wanted to be in the press box. And I just you know a lot of times you you gauge who gets to be in the press box by the size of the media outlet. Uh, their circulation and those sorts of things. But I was I was pretty adamant that people who were going to be in that press box were the people who covered the team, uh, either of those, either Valdosta State or Carson Newman all year long. So that's what we did. I know there, there were some columnists from Lexington and Louisville probably weren't happy with me, but I just felt like that was the, the right thing to do for the media who covered Division II football. Um, so Carson Newman wins that game. The next week, I believe it was UC Davis we played, and they came to Berktar Stadium. And uh, wow, just just a I, th- I think that was a game where it rained a lot that week. And there there have been multiple stories uh, from my recollections of Carson Newman where there had to be a helicopter brought in to either dry the field, or and that was a situation I believe they brought in a helicopter to dry the fields before they had the artificial turf like they do now. And uh, that field, though, was just a little, a little moist. And uh, Carson Newman battled that game, and UC Davis uh, went ahead late, I think, late in the game. And and Carson Newman tried to score, had to punt, and they held UC Davis. And UC Davis punted the ball. And I, I remember this. Uh, the guy let loose this huge punt, and it landed. It was inside the, five, the Carson Newman five. And it, it, the ball just went splat. It just hit and died right there at the two-yard line. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. And I, I say two, it was, it was inside the five, but I think it was the two. And it just went splat. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, we've got to go 98 yards to, to win this game and go to the, the championship game. And I, I recall this to this day. The radio guys, is the radio announcers were in the press box where you could hear exactly what they're saying. And UC Davis's radio guys – said, well, with that punt, the gods of California are smiling upon the Aggies. And everybody just turned and looked like the gods of California. And at that at that moment, I'm just thinking, okay, we'll see. We'll see. And, and the Eagles marched the entire length of the field. And I think it was Zach Allen either hit Jacquez Rump or Jarvani Jackson in the end zone for a touchdown. And all of us were just grinning from ear to ear, not cheering in the press box, but just how, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> and then they go to the, the championship game and it came up just short in that, but, and then, then they were back there again. And um, that was my last year being involved with it, but just for them to get to that, the, that point after what they'd been through climbing their way up in division two, was just a, it was a big moment. Your memory's pretty good. For, 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 for all of that knowledge, I can't remember what happened in the game last week that I was at. And, and, and here you are pulling it out from 25 years ago. That's awesome. No, don't, uh, don't quote me on the, on the exact details, <laughs> but I, 
I remember the big parts of that. <laughs> uh, that that's awesome. Well, you, you did have an opportunity to spend a lot of time with Coach Ken Sparks. What do you remember most about your time being in and around his football program? Well, I, I think the, the biggest thing about Coach Sparks is he is he is recognized for his success on the field. I mean, the 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 numbers speak for themselves about how successful his his teams were. But but for him, it was always it was always apparent that it was more than than just the game. And he would say, you know, it's not about the the score on the scoreboard. And it was a calling for him. That was that was his pulpit. He he used that as a way to to lead young men to to try to teach them the way that would help them be successful in life and 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 be good good men um, in the community and. You know that that's something that that struck me about him. And having worked close to Coach uh, Summit here, and then when I came back a little bit with her as well, same situation. Excellent coaches, but it was more than just about the game. It was there was something more to be learned there, and they made sure of that. Um, and then both to the standard by which they coached. I mean, they they expected a lot of their players. Um, and they encouraged them and put people around them who would help them uh, achieve. So you spend six seasons at Carson Newman. We'll hop into your uh, Tennessee career here in just a moment. But when you look back at your time at Carson Newman, what sticks out to you about how much that opportunity allowed you to develop into the person that you are now? Uh, I think from, you know, from the character standpoint, the support of being around just great people, I think that was the number one thing, learning, um, being reinforced about how important integrity is, being able to help student athletes um, go through what they go through away from competition, just helping them support them as people. Um, that That is always something that that to me, part of why I'm in this business, it's not just about going to games and um, getting to travel to cool places. That's all fun, but it's, it's really being a part of people's lives and being a part of the energy on a campus uh, with young people. Um, Also just how, how big it is, how big the people aspect of it is uh, in terms of the people you work with and how, how that, those connections help you. You can't you can't do anything alone. You you have to have people around you um, who trust you, who support you, and help you through your your difficult times too. Because nobody can nobody can do this job by themselves. So you get the opportunity to to head back to Tennessee. I think your initial roles there were uh, track and cross country. Uh, how? How, what went into that decision to, to head back to Knoxville to, to undertake those programs and, and be a part of the Vols? Well, I actually that I wasn't expecting that opportunity to arise, but just just the challenge of, of being back there. And I think also, too, I was uh, married. Uh, my wife, Laura, was uh, working there at Carson Newman, too. She was an admissions counselor there. And really, we really enjoyed being there we were involved with our church there and just she was part of my stat crew too she worked in the press box so uh, it wasn't it wasn't just me it was all it was our family but i started thinking i'm working with all those sports and i'd also taken on um, marketing which i was excited to be part of that and learn about that as well 
Uh, but I felt I was sort of getting away from the media relations part that I really loved. And then also thought a little bit about um, being in a small shop where you don't have a lot of people uh, around or uh, to help with the sports. And, th- and there's a lot to it. And I know you, you have a lot more now too with, with uh, social media and the web and, and all the, and television and radio and everything. So we, we were thinking about having children and I was just trying to figure out how I was going to be a part of, of my children's lives. And I, I, for me, I was trying to think, well, gosh, I don't, I don't know if I can do this forever. Um, I love it, but maybe that would give me a better opportunity if I had just a couple two or three, four sports to work on focused on rather than 15. So for me, it became kind of a personal family type thing to, to think about that. Um, you know, not, not really wanting to leave because it was a great place and it was so, so comfortable and, and still challenging and fun to be a part of. But, um, having been at UT, I kind of knew what I was getting into as well. So, um, wasn't like I was looking to go to some someplace totally different to move up move up the ladder. So your first year back is this accurate? That was Peyton Manning's last year at Tennessee. Uh, that that would have been. Um, or is that the year 97, 98. So that would have been the year they won the national championship okay. with, with me. Yeah. Okay. So then with with that in mind, um, what was it like? I know that that wasn't necessarily your 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 main role but i know that at that level you do help out you have a hand in a little bit of everything what was that year like going from uh this level where in essence the year before you had gone to a national championship game with carson newman to now going to tennessee to where that team is right there in the top five in the country and eventually uh pulls down the hardware yeah it was uh uh, (laughs) didn't plan it but i walked into a situation where the football team obviously went uh, went undefeated and then, uh, women's basketball did the same, um, that season with, uh, Holtz claw catchings, Randall and company. Um, so I walked into a really exciting, really exciting time at, at Tennessee. And then one of the, one of the first things I did too, when I worked there was they had, uh, the women's team before had been part of an HBO documentary covering their season. So they had this big, big celebration and debuted the video of that Cinderella season, uh, video at the Tennessee theater. Um, so th- those were some of the things that I kind of stepped into when I went back there and was kind of, you know, kind of cool to, to be part of all of that. Um, but I'll, I will tell you too, though, I still had a foot <laughs> in Jefferson city. Uh, I came back to some games and still kept, kept tabs and watched on TV that, that just doesn't, that didn't go away. Um, so that, that was cool too, to be close enough where I can still, still pay attention, uh, closely to that. So one question that that I think about uh, from time to time being in my role, and I'm curious your take on it. When you see a player, you mentioned Holdsclaw, you've seen a bunch of uh, future NFL stars there, and Candace Parker sticks out in my mind. You know that they're really talented. You know that they're a great athlete, but can you ever imagine while you're watching them throughout their college career that they become the kind of person and the player that they eventually become? Players are different. Um, People are different. Sometimes you can recognize that and someone when they walk on campus, they have an air about them. They have a confidence. Uh, Some people say swagger, (laughs) that sort of thing. But I think ultimately when you find out what they do in critical moments under pressure, um, how do they respond? 
And that that's where you kind of see what people are made of. And I don't, it doesn't even have to be on an athletic uh, field. It could be uh, people you work with. It could be in a hospital, a doctor, a nurse, or people who, who find a way to step up when times are tough and get the job done. And, you know, I think back to people overcoming injuries to, to playing games. Candace had a shoulder that kept popping out um, and she would go back in the training room and get it popped back in and come back out and, and play. And I think it was a torn labrum if I'm not mistaken. And that, I mean, <laughs> that's painful. Um, so you see that toughness and, and the tenacity they have to compete. And a lot of times people grow into that, but sometimes people maybe are just, I don't know if they're born with it, but they, they develop that along the way. So with your time, we mentioned the football national championship aspect of it, but uh, I believe uh, one of the first times that you really get to experience it in more of that full-time role uh, would have been the 07-08 women's basketball national championship season. What do you remember uh, about that group uh, that eventually won uh, the national title, one of the I guess that is the last one that that the women's basketball program, or the most recent one that the women's basketball program has won. Yeah, that that group. It, it seemed like um, it's hard to believe because they won they won it all, but I don't think that was a given for that team. Even though they'd won it the year before, there were a lot of people for whatever reason doubted that they could do it again. And I think um, that team played at times with a chip on its shoulder. Um, trying to trying to prove that I think what won it for them was the rebounding and defensive aspects of the game um, they didn't always score a lot of points uh, the 98 team just scored <laughs> points and chunks I mean they walked out there and they scored 90 or 100 so, um, the 08 team had to work a little bit more for it um, but defensively and from a rebounding standpoint is how they won their title and I think the semifinal game they won on a rebound bucket on a missed shot uh, against LSU to go to the championship game. Um, so that, that was that just another example there where they, you know, it, it wasn't coming easy for them, but they did the dirty work, the little hard things that nobody recognizes a lot of times and were able to get the championship game. And then they took care of Stanford pretty easily. I want to peel the curtain back a little bit because I think a lot of people might think, hey, in your role, oh, you were right there. You get to cut down the nets. You get to have fun. You get to, you know, celebrate. But uh, having been in situations like that in the past, uh, you're trying to coordinate with interviews and trying to make sure that people get what they need to get done and, you know, trying to make sure that there is everything from a job perspective that you're taking care of. What did you have to do? after the final buzzer sounded, after that national championship was won, uh, that maybe people that, that aren't in, the, in this industry or never get to experience it, uh, uh, what, what were you doing when that happened that some people might not, uh, might not understand what that role is? Yeah, bef before that, I missed a lot of the second half. I was in the locker room the second half because one of our players, Vicky Baugh, uh, was injured, um, ended up being a knee injury. And my my boss wanted me to go back and stay back there and then help provide information the sideline reporters like to do injury reports and so i came back out and told my my boss what what was going on back there what the doctor said and then then she would you know communicate with with the sideline reporter um so being in the locker room that was weird not, <laughs> not being out there for an exciting game and i was finally able to come back before the game ended and watch the rest of the game um, but yeah, after a game, it's kind of, it can be a little chaotic because a lot of times, um, 
TV uh, crews will want an interview right after the game. Um, so you try to help track down a player or coach for that. Um, then you're also, you're also dealing with uh, radio networks. There's an NCAA network that wants somebody to talk to after the game. And then, and then you have your own network, uh, radio network that you're trying to help. And then for a game like that, there's usually like a sports center hit that you've got to get somebody on. And sometimes that's right away. And sometimes that's maybe five or 10 minutes after the game. So you're trying to, trying to help corral players who are, who are excited. So you try to let them enjoy, enjoy that because who knows if you ever get that opportunity again, um, but then kind of pull them aside and say, Hey, we need you to do this interview with ESPN or whatever. And um, so, you know, we're not out there jumping up and down and, and celebrating. We're happy for our players, but we have, you have to re retain your composure and um, be, be professional and get people where they need to be to help again, helping other people do their jobs. So your first year as the uh, full-time media relations director for women's basketball was the year after Pat Summit retired in the first year of Holly War Warlick. But I want to—you mentioned Pat earlier and, and the similarities between her and Coach Ken Sparks. You spent a lot of time around that program uh, with Pat Summit. What do you remember most about who she was as a person and what she stood for from the leadership standpoint of that program? Yeah, just a great a great role model for not only women but for anyone really who wants to look at someone with integrity, hard work, perseverance. Um, people, you know, a lot of times will ask me, was she was she difficult to work for or work with or be around? Because they see some of her sideline, you know, getting on a player, getting after the officials or anything like that, and and that that's just apart and the th same thing with football coaches there are moments when they have to get on people and yell at them and that's not who they are all the time so that that's to me the biggest thing about her is that that's just that moment pat there are the, there's the path that's very reassuring to her players are very supportive or she'll ask you how your day's going um she'll she'll laugh she's got a sense of humor she had a sense of humor that that people didn't really know about and um you know th those are the kind of things that you find out when you work around uh, folks like that, that they're, they're just like the rest of us. Um, they have a really big platform that they have to be on and a lot of expectations on them. Um, and I think she handled that so well. And, and I think a lot of it was from her upbringing, you know, just a really uh, blue collar family worked really hard, uh, high standards for everybody. They, they had to, they were on a farm and, and to make things work, you really had to, take care of your business on a day, on a daily basis. You couldn't, you couldn't let anything fall between the cracks. And, and that was kind of the way she, she coached and, and led people, um, you know, people are counting on you and you don't want to let them down. And that's, I think to me, that's the way I felt around her and coach Sparks really. And a lot of the coaches I've had the pleasure to work with is you're never afraid of anybody. You just don't want to let them down. You just, you want to do your very best for them and, and, make sure they're they have what they need to do their job the pat summit uh legacy continues to live on because holly warlick who was one of her former players and assistants uh coach there and now it's uh, kelly harper the former kelly jolly is there as well how do you see her legacy continue uh all these years later yeah pat pat's legacy lives on through all the players she coached and they all were impacted by her. Uh, I'm sure a lot of these guys that played for Coach Sparks are the same exact way. I mean, the impact is there, not not just while they're 
in college, but it, it goes beyond that and they pass that on to other people. And that's what's so powerful about uh, people of impact like that. And you see that with Holly. Holly played for her, was a point guard for her, and Kelly was too. So they they know the expectation of the program. That's the hard part you step into. There's a lot of pressure to follow a legend <laughs> as a coach or whatever job it is you take. You follow somebody who's excellent at what they did and just revered. There's a lot of pressure that comes with it. But I think both Holly and Kelly have handled that with so much grace um, and understanding for what is required of that of that job. And uh, each have done it their own their own way. But you also see the the model that they use, the expectations, the a lot of the the backbone of the program comes from their their mentor and coach and friend. How would you describe the job duties of a Division One media relations director in 2021? <laughs> well, it it can be different from school to school. Um, we we here at Tennessee have become a little bit more. Um, we've we've split up responsibilities a little bit more. I would say social media and graphic design have become a couple of big time elements um, in Division One athletics and. For a time, you know, I was doing all the media relations stuff, but doing some graphic design, doing some video work, you know, a lot of things that probably I would be doing at a D2 school or a mid-major, I was doing all those things. And now it's become a little more segmented where you have a social media team and a graphics team and we have a photography staff. Uh, So in in that aspect, it's gotten a little bit easier in terms of, not having to do so many different things, but um, I spend a lot of time with those things because social media ultimately comes back to our office in terms of what's out there. And and we have to help be proactive with that, with the messaging, um, reactive to things that are out there. Be totally aware of that. Um, and also I think too, the, the, the cool part for me, and I think it would be too, um, at a place like Carson Newman is you can you can get your message out a lot easier now with, with those entities. And, and if you have video and social media teams that are really good, you can, you can do a lot of stuff that if the media is not covering you like you would want, then you can, you can reach uh, the fans, you can reach recruits, you can get it to the media, and then maybe the media does a story because of the work you've done. And that, that, that's really cool, I think, that you can, can have a little more control of getting the message out there. I think you mentioned early on in this conversation that uh, when you were at Arkansas, you used to have to phone in box scores. Well, now it updates uh, in real time pretty much, and people can look at the live stats in real time. When you think about how much the industry and how much your job has changed uh, in the last 30-plus years, what do you think is something that potentially you wish you had learned maybe a little bit earlier uh, that would help you uh, during this time period with the amount of different areas that now you have to, to deal with through media and video and graphics and, and, and all of those aspects. Yeah, probably. Um, and I want to say for, for me, probably graphic design. Um, I, I like doing creative things, but the job I do does not allow me enough time to do a lot of the graphic parts of it. And fortunately we have some people who are just terrific and that's their passion. 
um, you know, I was able, I was able to do enough of that to, in the early days of social media to get graphics out and, and do things, but I, I'd like to be better at, at that. Um, but I also feel like I've, I've changed with the times I've had to learn a lot of things. We've had different leadership here in our, in our office and, um, in the administration. So I've had to adapt. And I think that's adaptability to me has been, been the key because if you just say, well, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> you're not going to last very long. So we've had to learn, learn, unlearn and relearn a lot of things through the years. And it, and it may change within two years where you're, you're doing all of your video. I think there was a time where we were producing a little uh, basketball show on a weekly basis. I had a graduate assistant who had a lot of experience in um, being in front of the camera and, and operating a camera. Um, so we were able to put together a little show each week and then put it on social media. So that, that was fun kind of doing things like that. But, but again, you, you sort of feel like you're not doing what your specialty area is. And I, I really like the daily, um, the ability to work with the coaching staff and our players and to work with the media and get, and get messages and information out to them that can help uh, publicize our program. For somebody that wants to be in a position like yours someday, what advice would you give them? Start now. <laughs> uh, I think I think it's the social media aspect and the video aspect seems to be something um, that comes as people grow up. With phones, have really changed things. Um, a lot of people are able to do that, but I I think being able to write to me is critical to this, to this job because there's so much of it that involves writing. And then it can include social media as well. I just hate to see uh, messages on social media that are just littered with, with grammar errors. And um, sometimes it's for fun and people are kind of casual with it. But, uh, but when somebody puts out a message and it's you're like, wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think, I think the writing and then get involved whatever level, if it's in high school, you know, if you can get involved writing for a school paper, uh, a yearbook, those sorts of things start early. I, I didn't realize until my third year of college um, that I might want to go into something involving writing. I was a business major when I started out and I was, I was too, too shy, I guess at the time, I didn't want to put something out there for somebody to read, even though I love sports and I didn't really know about writing. I had a command of sports and then just taking the classes that helped me be able to convey that in a, in an organized way. That was, that was critical. So I think writing, getting experience early, volunteering wherever you can. Um, and I, my first, as I recall, my first thing I ever did involving sports information, media relations was getting cut from the high school basketball team as a sophomore. I was just crushed. And uh, the coach knew it. He knew how much I love sports. And he, he said, well, you know, um, it would, we've got a job here to keep stats for the team. We need kind of someone to do that. Would you be willing to do that? And I was thinking, yeah, I get to go to all the games. I'd probably go to them anyway. Uh, so he let me keep stats. And I had one of those four-color pens with the red, what are, I can't remember, red, yellow, yellow, red, blue, black, green. Anyway, I used one of those to keep stats by quarter. Um, and it's kind of funny when I do hand stats here at a scrimmage or something, I use the same kind of pen now. And little did I know that was the, the beginning of, of media relations. And I, I will say too, that that motivated me getting cut. I was, I played on the team the next two years and started as a senior. So <laughs> I wasn't ready for media, race, media relations quite yet at that point. I, I still had some sports to play. 
I think that uh, a lot of us in this industry are uh, a little bit similar in that our, our athletic careers come to an end and we don't know what else to do. So we, we end up pursuing something like this. A um, couple more questions, then we'll let you get out of here. Uh, you've been in this industry for almost 33 years, and this is probably a question that's going to be very difficult to answer. But could you pinpoint one, two, maybe three moments during the last three plus decades uh, that really stand out to you that were uh, gratifying, uh, that you felt like you really made the right career choice to go into this field? Um, I, I would, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to pinpoint. It really is. It really is. Um, I think being, being at Carson Newman to me is one of them. And I, because there, there are multiple times I can think of, but just my six years there, I think those were, had so much impact, um, on me as a person. Um, as a professional, I learned, I learned so much there. I mean, you basically, and I, and I tell everybody here, um, if you're a student, please, please look at all sizes of schools. But I mean, I, I had to learn every single sport we had there and got to work with some terrific people. Uh, I never dreamed I would work with wrestling. Um, I didn't know anything about wrestling, but I go into that gym and, and learning how to score a wrestling match and, um, working every every sport we had i had i had been involved with softball and volleyball and tennis and things like that in the past but um just just being able to learn everything there i think was so valuable had i stayed there or come to tennessee i mean it was in in the people i was around that that was number one um when i came back to tennessee and i mentioned the 97 98 year they went undefeated but the first game i think they played maybe the first regular season game was against Louisiana tech. And I think there were around 14 or 15,000 people there at a women's basketball game. And the roof was coming off that place. It was so loud. And I'm like, this is really, this is really cool to be, to see this and um, to feel that energy. Um, I think too, I mean, again, I'm just pulling things out of there because there's so many different things. The, the relationships uh, from that baseball team I mentioned um, in 93 at Carson Newman, certain teams here. I work for a couple national championship track and field teams here with JJ Clark. Um, the, those building that program from where it was one of the lower programs in the sec to where it, to where it ended up, uh, to win championships. And then being part of the Tennessee basketball program has been phenomenal. And then, and then too, I think because of my age, I see a lot of these student athletes come in here as, as young, young people, and then to see them go on and be adults and parents and leaders and communities or get inducted into halls of fame and those sorts of things. That's really, it's really neat to see that whole spectrum. And that means I'm getting older, but um, it's, it's really neat to see that as, as them being successful in life and, and being uh, good role models and productive people in their communities. You mentioned at the, at the beginning, the fact that uh, the first Arkansas game that you covered uh, felt like a, a little bit of a rodeo place where they had the, the trailers where teams were um, getting ready. And I think you have a unique perspective on how far women's athletics have come and certainly the value of women's sports, because there are very few schools in the country that can tout the attendance that Tennessee has year in and year out. 
So with all of that in mind, how have you seen the growth and value of women's sports changed in your time in the chair of uh, a media relations director? Yeah, so I, I think, um, you know, obviously we've talked about Coach Summit and she is she has been instrumental in growing women's basketball. But more than that, women's sports, just motivating people to see what this little country gal can do if she puts her mind to it. I mean, I don't mean to boil it down that small, but she she came from a farm and she, she's running a program. She's making a great salary. People know her everywhere. She has influence, um, but she stayed pretty pretty humble for someone who attained those heights. But I think the big thing for her was just, just letting people know if you put your mind to it, if you work hard, you, you can make things happen. And I think her accessibility to the media too was a big part of that. She let people come inside the program, letting HBO follow the team a whole year and see their ups and downs to come into the training room when somebody tore their ACL. Um, a little, little bit different times back then, but that kind of access gets people. It's like the, the NFL shows now where you go into training camp with the team and you see, you know, you, you get to see an inside look at something and you feel a little closer to it, but, and maybe you want to be a fan. And I, I'm struck by that too. When, when Lady Vols travel, it doesn't matter where they go. There are going to be people wearing orange in the stands. And a lot of times there are more people wearing orange than there are the home team's colors. Um, and I, I attribute a lot of that to her. And I think Vicki Kazee Hollifield there at Carson Newman was someone I worked with. Um, Jean Love was another one with tennis that really, really lifted their sports up and prepared their student athletes. And Vicki had that fire um, and really respected how she was a lot, a lot like that Pat Summit type of fiery leader um, and and made people realize they could they could do things, um, and and I think our media coverage as a whole for women's basketball went from first championship I went to in '89 was in Tacoma, Washington, in the Tacoma Dome, and I think the men's championship that year was in the then the King Dome where the Seahawks played at the time. Uh, I think that's what it was called. But anyway, so you had the suburb city, and then you had the big football stadium, and now they're playing in similar sized venues. The women's game is played in football stadiums now and large basketball arenas, um, similar to the men and they'll sell them out, um, which is really cool to see you go from 8,000 fans to 33,000 or whatever. And, and that happens because of exposure. TV exposure has been a big part of that too. Last question for you. We talked about at the very beginning, uh, off air, that you had done some media training with uh, the current crop of Lady Vols. How do you grade your performance being in front of the camera for probably the first time in a long time? Well, I try to, I try to let our players watch their own interviews after we conduct media training. So I'll, I'll wait to watch this. <laughs> this is not where I usually am, but uh, I'll, I'll watch it and I'll let you know how I feel about it afterwards and see how many times I said, um, <laughs> Hey, probably less than me. Uh, It was great talking to you, Eric. Uh, Love all of the stories and uh, best of luck getting ready for this edition of the Lady Vols.
Michael, thank you so much. I appreciate you. You have a great year, and I hope to see you soon. Thanks so much. That is Eric Trainer. More than three decades of experience in media relations. Currently, the media relations director for the University of Tennessee women's basketball team. This has been episode 23 of Mossy Creek Conversations. Thanks for watching and listening here on the Eagle Sports Network.